A weaker US dollar and a stronger yuan, but will it last? Will China allow it to keep rising? And what does it mean for the Aussie dollar if it does? Plus, movements in bond yields across the US and Europe are heading down. We'll look at the reasoning behind that. Plus, what direction will the RBNZ take today? Can they stay as dovish as they have been? Or is it time for a shift in direction? It's Wednesday, the 26th of May. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. And stay with us to the end if you can, because we want to talk briefly about the Kanga News Survey before we go, because your vote counts. Uh, but let's get to the markets this morning, first of all. Some moves in bonds this morning. Uh, the yields down, 10-year Treasuries down uh, five basis points to 1.56%. They peaked last week, of course, at around one7 and they were at 1.75 at the end of March, so quite a move down. Another big fall in the US dollar as well. It's down 0.2%, below 90 on the DXY again, uh, at its lowest since January, and yet we've got no reciprocal move up in the Aussie dollar. The gains have all been in the euro, which is up a quarter percent. The pound, meanwhile, is down a little. And the FTSE 100 down a third of 1% too, while shares in the US, well, they've not moved a great deal. In fact, the Dow and the S&P are down about 0.2%. The Nasdaq is pretty flat. It's the same story with the Eurostoxx 50. That's not really going anywhere. And small moves in oil for a change. Brent was up a little. Now it's down a bit. And welcome back to Ray Attrell, NAB's head of FX strategy in Sydney, who's been away for a few weeks, being rebuilt. He's now bigger, stronger, and faster. He is the I'm NAB, back. Steve Austin. I'm speaking uh, to you in <laughs> full bionic form. We're showing our vintage when we start talking about Steve Austin, aren't we? But anyway, good to have you back. So uh, what do you make of the moves overnight then? We've got bond yields down. I mentioned 10-year treasuries, but it's yields down even, even more in Canada and down quite a bit across Europe too. So it feels like there's a, a bit of uh, risk-off sentiment creeping in, but we, we've also got the US dollar down. So what's happening? No, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily risk-off, but but, um, and if I look at the US stock market, interesting that the, the NASDAQ is about flat at the time of, of this recording, um, a little bit to go today. Um, and the, but the S&P is down a quarter. And if we see bond yields falling, as we have done, another, what, four basis points for tens. And as you say, also lower yields globally, it tends to be the, you know, the interest rate sensitive uh, tech sector in the mm-hmm. NASDAQ that does best. So that sort of explains that. And, and lower bond yields, I think, are more, you know, the market continues to you know, to row back on its concerns about inflation. Uh, and the latest Fed rhetoric has, has, again, generally been supportive of that. We've had Rich Clarida out. We've had uh, we've had Quarles. We've had Barking. And we've had um, Charles Evans, the Chicago Fed president, who has been quite strident in saying that he sees absolutely no reason on, based on the incoming evidence to uh, to think that, the, you know, the view of sort of playing it long and uh, being way too early for a discussion about tapering is still appropriate. Although Clarida himself has said, look, you know, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe in a few yeah. months we can have that discussion. So I think he's trying to placate, you know, all sides of the aisle as far as the FOMC membership. Well, he was, he, he was betting each way, wasn't he, Richard Clarida? You know, he said, yeah, we could talk about it sometime at upcoming meetings. Uh, we could start discussing it uh, depending on the data flow. Uh, but uh, And he said, yeah, we've got upside risks and downside risks. There he is, telling it like That's it right. is. That's <laughs> right. So I, just, just before we started talking, I've written down Clarida, a bob each way, exclamation marks. <laughs> <laughs> Same, uh, great minds thinking alike here anyway so uh no but other than that it's not uh, not a, a a big uh, you know a, a big night as far as uh, certain suppose equities bonds are concerned yeah all right well a lot of action in china though hasn't there i mean we equities were higher there because they were they were following off on the rise that we saw in the u.s on monday i guess but the cny appreciated against the u.s dollar to the highest level 
in three years, which, of course, the uh, PBOC is not at all happy about. In fact, there's reports that maybe China's state-owned banks are busy buying up dollars at a feverish pitch now to try and contain it. Well, there's been some very conflicting signals out of uh, Chinese officials. Um, you know, just before the weekend, we had a report uh, out of the Shanghai branch suggesting that, um, you know, a stronger yuan would be a good thing now because it would counter some of the upward pressure on inflation coming from commodity prices. That story was subsequently deleted mm. over the weekend. Um, and we know that the PBOC has been setting the daily fixes a little bit on the sort of weak side of, uh, of expectations or what a pure market driven move would suggest. But, um, you know, but all that but to say, you know, we, we broke through 640 on the CNH, so the offshore one. Um, during our session yesterday. <clears throat> and that is quite a big deal because it's a big psychological level. If you go back to you know June 2018, when part of China's response to the imposition of tariffs, so June 2018 was when the Trump administration imposed that 10% tariff rate on an additional $200 billion worth of Chinese imports. That's really when the Chinese authorities responded by orchestrating a weakening of the, the yuan to actually offset the, um, you know, the impact effectively for US importers in terms of you know, mm. saying, well, you're going to have to pay this tax, but we're going to give you a cheaper, a cheaper currency price effectively. So, so 640 was sort of a bit of a fulcrum or a bit of an inflection point there. So the fact that you know, it has gone through there uh, at least on the CNH, I think is significant. And our view is that uh, over time, that the, the CMY will continue to strengthen. Um, you know, it makes it easier for <coughs> China to, excuse me, <coughs> Media. I haven't used your voice for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I haven't. You're right. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, it does make it easier for China to meet its commitments as far as the phase one uh, trade deal, where it's still falling short. It does provide mm. some offsets to inflation pressures. And, um, you know, and if they are committed to, to more sort of market reform, the underlying pressures are still for a, for a stronger CN, CMY at this stage. So it's all pointing to, uh, you know, probably, you know, this 640 level giving way at some point. But as you say, um, clearly there's a, there's a limit to how much tolerance the authorities will have, you know, at this stage for, for continued appreciation. But um, anyway, it is interesting. Yeah. And it, uh, it works two ways, though, doesn't it? I mean, you talked about inflation, but doesn't it? push up the price of exports from China, so there's not going to be inflationary from the rest of the world. Well, it does, yeah. it does. Although, although you know, export demand is in pretty rude health yeah. at the moment, obviously, mm -hmm. and we've shown that showing up in, uh, you know, showing up around the world effectively, isn't it? As, as, as economies reopen, and you know, we're trying to uh, remove these uh, intermediate supply chain bottlenecks as such. So, you know, so that's that's the negative at least, anyway. But at the moment, would say that you know the strength of export demand and the size of the trade surplus means now is as good a time as any. Yeah. You know, fast forward six to nine months. Maybe the export picture won't look so good. So, in that sense, maybe they want to be sort of opportunistic but and that, say, "Look, that we, at the moment, yeah, that retracted statement, the positives outweigh the benefits." Yeah, yeah. And what about for Australia? Because that retracted statement that you mentioned about the fact that at least it was good for lessening the price of, for example, iron ore imports, uh, which would be good news for Australia because it would lessen their concerns about the price of it. What What does that all mean? What does it all mean if, if we do see it uh, heading in that direction? What does it all mean for Australia and the Australian dollar? Well, if if, if past is uh, is prologue, it means a stronger Aussie dollar and if we go back you know during the midst of or in the midst of the trade war you could almost you could get a slide rule out and say well given the current level of dollar against the CMY the right price for Aussie or the Kiwi dollar for that matter should be this and, and lo and behold you know they were lining up quite nicely but what we have seen is the CMY has been strengthening but obviously Aussie's been going sideways for 
you know, for reasons obviously we've been discussing ad nausea. <laughs> Higher levels of the Aussie uh, are seem yeah. to be are justified on our view, but here we are stuck at 77.50 and we've still got that 77 to 78 cents feel about it. But if the Chinese currency continues to strengthen, it probably takes emerging market currencies with it in a stronger direction and undeniably that will be an additional reason to think that uh, sooner rather than later, the Aussie dollar should be under some uh, some upward pressure and hopefully onwards and upwards towards our sort of 80 cents target for one side or other of, uh, of mid-year. Uh, so data from the US versus data from Europe. Uh, Europe won, didn't it, overnight, really? Uh, so uh, the US, the home sales uh, behind uh, on uh, expectations. In fact, a 5.9% fall. And inflation largely blamed for this. I mean, we've talked in the past about building materials, particularly the price of lumber, pushing up house prices. Uh, and, and I guess also it's not just the rise in prices, it's also getting hold of the materials. So it's not just a, it's not necessarily a fall in demand for homes that's uh, contributing to this fall. It's actually whether they can build them fast enough. Well, no, I, think it's, I think it's a demand and supply thing. Certainly, you know, mm. we've been saying that, you know, we've had that big rise in, in, in mortgage rates in the US, something like 50 basis points. Remember, most mortgages are fixed for 30 years and the 30-year bond rate went up 50 basis points in the first quarter. Um, you know, and that has a, you know, with a lag, tends to have a read-through to, to lower demand. So I think there is a demand side <coughs> story there. Um, but mortgage rates have since come down 20 basis points. And then, as you say, it's sort of shortages of building materials. The stock of unsold houses has uh, has shrunk to, I think, something like four and a half months, I read. Um, so I think you've got still got the intersection of, of, of demand and supply. Um, but the supply side is probably winning out in terms of prices. And, and prices have been up, what, 10 percent or so? In the last year or so, so um, so yes, yeah, so I think we're we're coming off in you know, a very very strong levels in 2020. The other thing to note is this sort of rush for deurbanisation, whatever you want to call it, um, that was obviously very very prevalent in 2020. Looks to be uh, a little bit less of an issue now as economies are reopening and then people are you know realistically thinking <laughs> that thought, they are going to be working. I thought it was a cities. fundamental shift. I thought people were moving out of the cities as a fundamental shift. It lasted a year, and everyone wants to get back in again now. How how fickle a year are we? is a long time in uh, in. Fact, Financial markets. A long time, isn't it, in the history of the world? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what about uh, the European numbers then? So the IFO number from Europe uh, came in stronger than expected against, you know, and I guess that's, that shines out more because we did see weaker numbers from the, the US and so not just those uh, housing sales, but also the conference board consumer read for, for May. It was expected to rise, you know, as vaccine numbers rose. Uh, but no, it actually fell a little, didn't it? Yes, but, um, but but the level, I think you have to look at the level, 117.2 from, I think, near yeah. record levels we had uh, had previously there. And um, the present situation has, has gone on, onwards and upwards. So there's a bit of a dip in the expectation side that's brought the overall index through. But um, I'd say that, you know, new home sales and those consumer confidence numbers are quite volatile. Um, and just going back a week, you know, Friday, you know, those market US PMI, shot the lights out record levels um, relative to some of the European ones, which were, I wouldn't say they were ho-hum, but they didn't sort of exceed expectations, at least anyway, as far as Germany was concerned. So, you know, on a relative basis, I still think that it's, uh, you know, it's a bit of a neck and neck horse race just at the moment, at least anyway. But, um, you know, but IFO certainly, you know, certainly was strong and uh, certainly helped with the euro dollar exchange rate, you know, edging above that 122 and a half, which is quite an important um, technical level. So at the moment, in terms of, you know, US dollar weakness, which you mentioned uh, in your intro, um, the euro seems to have taken uh, taken up the reins from sterling now as the sort of lead G10 mm. currency that, that's pushing that US dollar index down to uh, not quite the lowest levels of the year. Um, but you have to note also that uh, because the dollar yen 
uh, exchange rate is such a big component of those indices and, and dollar yen marches to its own drum these days because of its sensitivity to US bond yields. You know, the yen is about 6% weaker than it was at the start of the year. So if you sort of take allowance for that, undeniably the US dollar here is at, uh, you know, against most currencies is at new um, year-to-date lows. Look, the RBNZ decision today uh, and uh, the, we've got the monetary policy statement midday, Australian Eastern Daylight time, time as well. So uh, where's that going to go? Today. Well, there's a lot of interest in here. There, there's almost some sort of volatility in the interest rate and, and the uh, currency markets, I think, is almost guaranteed. Um, you know, the balancing act that the RBNZ has is that it's been maintaining this sort of uber dovish line that, that um, you know, it's got no intention of uh, raising rates for quite some time. The market's been increasingly thumbing its nose at that view, given that, uh, you know, what have we seen? We've seen much stronger inflation uh, indicators than uh, than the RBNZ has been expecting. We've seen a, a much tighter labour market than their forecasts. And, and we've since, you know, the last meeting, we've had the budget, which has been more expansionary than than, than generally expected. Mm. So, um, you know, the case for, for continuing to push on with, uh, you know, their LSAP, which is their QE um, policy, is increasingly questionable. But, um, you know, I think that it'll be the subtleties, I think, really, looking at the forecasts and, you know, reading between the lines, because the statement, I think they will, they will do their level best to try and continue to sound dovish. They don't want to set the hairs running as far as a stronger New Zealand dollar is concerned, which would be the case if they really start sort of indicating that uh, you know rates are likely to rise next year, which indeed is is our own forecast and those of some of the other private sector economists. So um, so anyway, I think that yeah. the language is going to be important and then we're looking for a bit of volatility uh, out of the, uh, out well, of the meeting at midday. Right, okay. And on home soil, very quickly, construction work done today, which of course is one of those GDP partials ahead of the big number next week. Yes, and that, and that should be strong. So uh, we get to capital tomorrow and we get construction uh, work done today so we're looking for a couple of percentage point increase in that and, and that leading on to to a strong sort of capex number contributing to uh, you know hopefully a decent gdp numbers when they come through next right. week and don't forget if you are an australian based fixed income investor uh, and you value what we're doing here with the nabs research service all the reports that we produce plus the morning call of course um, you've got till the end of the week to vote for us in the annual kanga news survey it's one vote per person not per institution so vote early and vote often i think it's the line uh, your vote counts and, and nab won last year didn't they and we want to do it again certainly do certainly do so uh <laughs> we'd appreciate you uh, taking a minute out to do That'd that be great okay thanks to, great to have you back ray catch you again soon thanks phil the bionic ray actual that's it for today i'm phil dobby for nab back again tomorrow morning see you then